Hi, and a big welcome to another episode of Laughter and Lunges with your hosts, Catherine and Sarah. Thanks for taking the time to listen to us today. We would love it if you could rate, follow and share the podcast so that it can reach even more ears. Here's today's episode. Hello. Hey, girlfriends. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. I've not seen you in ages, Sarah. How are you? <laughs> I know, it has been so long. I don't know how I've coped. Aside from not coping because I've not seen you, I am doing really well, thank you, as well. Good. Do you not think that the sun is just making us even more buzzing about life at the moment? I totally agree, and it, it's really unexpected because it's, it's now September, you just expect the weather to decline the days to suddenly get like really short and really dark but it's been lovely it's been so so good even up here in Scotland yeah it's it's just been amazing here today so this will give away when we're recording it but I think this is supposed to be the hottest day today Oof. I, I have a feeling it's probably not quite as hot up here um but nonetheless we'll go out and enjoy it get a little walking after this and when we say that it's been ages since we actually saw each other it's been less than 24 hours since we recorded our Definitely. last podcast <laughs> Um, but we thought we had um, we had a checking question, didn't we? Um, that we briefly covered on the Q and A podcast last time. That we kind of wanted to deep dive into more in its own topic specific podcast. Um, so we thought, what better way to just let's just dive right in and just do it. So we got our flippers on and our diving suit, and we're ready a to snorkel. go. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly experienced divers over here. I don't think proper proper divers use snorkels, do they? No, no. I think they have like an oxygen mask and things. And things. things. Just things. They have things. Oh, gosh. Oh. So the, the topic today is about tracking, which you'll probably already be aware of if you've read the title of the podcast. Um, so the question that we got was, I've tracked for years and I want to not track so much. I have a decent understanding of calories and food after all this time, but any tips? So we thought to deep dive into this, we're going to kind of break this down into a few different areas. We love a bit of a prong, a pronged approach to our answers, but we're going to cover today some of the benefits that people might be getting from tracking, but also maybe what some of the costs might be as well of continuing to track. And then a little bit more information about kind of practical tips and things that we tend to see with people who are successful in removing tracking. So we're going to cover quite a few things here on our diving experience but hopefully you'll find these helpful if you're someone who has already removed tracking and uh, wondering am I doing it right disclaimer there's not one right way <laughs> uh, but if you're someone who's been sort of flirting with the idea as well then hopefully this will give you some some ideas of how you might be able to implement it just laughing at the use of the word flirting there that was great that was that was uh, so unexpected but I loved it, it I saw your head roll back and it was <laughs> I'm not gonna lie it was a tad off putting <laughs> people are gonna be like oh creeps let's stop let's stop listening now <laughs> oh god oh, man but I'm so, like yeah I think like potentially there might be people listening again who are flirting with the idea of moving away but they're not sure if it's the right thing for them to do so we both thought it would be a really good way to start off the podcast by talking about what the benefits are so what what is tracking giving you right now versus what is tracking costing you 
and you kind of do a cost benefit analysis of those things and then you can make a decision from there about what you're going to do. I think what's really helpful as well about looking at some of the benefits that you're getting from tracking is some of those same things can be benefits still of not tracking. So when we do begin looking at those, some of those things transfer over to not tracking. You can still, for instance, with tracking, it might give you a bit of structure because you might pre-plan what you're going to eat and put it into your calorie tracking app or however you track. But even if you were to remove tracking, you can still create that same kind of structure by pre-planning your meals and having an idea of what you're going to eat as well. So I think getting an idea of what you feel you're getting from it at the moment doesn't necessarily mean that if you remove tracking, you'll remove those benefits. It just means we can look at different ways of kind of giving you that same sort of benefit through not tracking. Point well made. I really like that. Thanks, friend. Amazing. Yeah, you don't have to give up some of these benefits that you're receiving just now. Um, And I think one of the really obvious benefits that people get from tracking, especially to begin with, if you've never tracked before, unlike the person who was asking this question, who's tracked for, I think, a number of years now, um, but is learning the nutritional values of different foods. I think that's one really massive thing that people do get out of tracking their food. Definitely. Because I think as well, when you read kind of packets, I mean, that's one way you can gain a bit of an understanding is if you're looking at a packet. But we all know how confusing sort of looking at portion sizes is on there as well, that it can really throw us off. So having that understanding of kind of putting those calories into an app or again, there's so many different ways to do it. But let's be honest, the most people nowadays will use something like MyFitnessPal to track their calories. But gaining that bigger picture of what macronutrients are in those foods, so what foods are kind of higher in protein, where Maybe am I intaking large amounts of fat, carbohydrates, and just having an understanding of how those calories make up, how those macronutrients, sorry, make up the calories then that you come to at the end of the day or at the end of a meal is so, so helpful because without that, we're not always too sure because again, marketing can say, this is healthy, that's healthy, this is high protein that's like the high Weetabix. protein. Oh, don't you had to pick that one. You know that that's my kryptonite. We got a question yesterday actually about um health and fitness myths and why I didn't go to protein Weetabix. Oh, don't get me started. I'm not going to go into it. that today. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, things like that where it's marketed maybe as high protein and it's not necessarily high protein, it's probably just higher protein than the other version that they've got out. So it can be really, really confusing. So as Catherine said, kind of having an understanding via tracking of of actually what makes up that food is so, so beneficial. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. And kind of going back to the protein thing, one thing that I see from like clients that I've worked with over the last few years who have been successful, one thing that they've I suppose seen as um, a massive benefit and a win is increasing their protein within their diet. They found that so helpful. And like, this is game changing. I think if they were to choose maybe like one thing about their diet that has really massively benefited them that they've changed is like the amount of protein that they're eating and 
tracking allows you to see exactly how much protein you are having. And you may discover foods that you didn't think were high in protein that are, or you thought that this one specific food was giving you protein when actually it's not really giving you as much as you thought, or actually you have to eat a shed load of it to be able to get a decent serving of protein. Like the whole, the whole like nuts are a really great source yeah. of protein. They're not a lean source of protein. You have to eat a lot of them to get enough protein. And by that point, you've then eaten a lot of calories and a lot of fat alongside it as well. Definitely. And I think that's it. It's it's just, I, I do think it is really confusing if you only listen to that kind of messaging, depending where you're getting your messaging from, depends on then the outcome of following those actions. So this is arming you with the knowledge and the information to kind of empower yourself to make the choices that you want to make as well so we're not relying on what someone else is saying gaining this understanding we can work out what's working best for us which again we'll come on to a bit more later probably about making our own choices when it comes to food but with this approach it allows that bit of flexibility as well um especially when you're armed with that knowledge Mm -hmm. another thing that i think people will find that they get from tracking is that it offers them some sort of um, improvement of their mindfulness, especially if they're tracking before in advance of actually eating a meal, because it almost forces somebody to pause before they decide to eat something. So maybe they're like, you know, I really want a chocolate bar or a bag of crisps, but they're like, okay, I'm just going to see, you know, whether that fits within my calorie targets, my nutritional targets. And sometimes it might then make somebody decide, actually, you know what? No, I don't, it's not worth it. I don't want that today. I'm going to have it another time. Definitely. And I think that pause is something often we talk about within our coaching anyway, just in general, but that moment of pause before choosing to eat, even if it's not based on, oh, will that fit within my calories today? But almost just that check-in with, actually, am I really hungry for this? Or am I maybe bored? Am I avoiding another task? It allows us to kind of explore that feeling a little bit more as well, which I think is really, really helpful. It's that added layer, I guess, of like accountability as well, isn't it? Because Mm. with what you mentioned there with checking in on sort of the calories and actually thinking, well, yeah, maybe today it's not worth it. I'm not really that bothered. It's that accountability of kind of putting that in, knowing or that's that's maybe not going to fit so much within what aligns with my goals and my values at the moment. And that can be really, really helpful as well. I totally agree. What other um, benefits do you kind of see from from people using tracking as a tool? So I guess like we touched upon it before, but that kind of structure and sort of planning really of thinking ahead, because a, a lot of the time with um, calorie tracking, people will sort of plan ahead meals like it's something that we'll often encourage in general anyway so that we're not kind of leaving things to chance but being able to kind of plan ahead and put those things in gives you that structure and it takes a decision away later in the week when you're busy when things are just something unexpected's come up if you then are dealing your headspace is dealing with all of those other things having that structure already planned out and knowing that that's going to align with your goals takes that stress away and you can kind of follow through with that plan that you've already made from that place where you're in a calmer kind of mindset and were choosing actions at that time that aligned with your goals 
yeah, really, it really reduces the need to, I suppose, practice um, or, or drain your willpower because past you has made a decision for future you or what present you has made a decision for future you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Think of future Sarah. She's a legend. <laughs> <laughs> I just haven't attained that yet. <laughs> um, the other one that I had, which I think can be seen as both a benefit, but also sometimes can stray into like a, a negative is having like a, it's like a locus of control having mm. having tracking it's like a way for somebody to control their energy intake if they need to if their goal is fat loss then regulating controlling the calorie intake is going to be an essential part of that um however you can kind of stray into the depths of okay are you controlling your calories because it's kind of also helping you feel like you're controlling other aspects of your life mm. and maybe tracking isn't a way for you to do that yeah, it's a very nuanced one, definitely, mm. with that. And I think something that sprung to mind there, though, in terms of the control side of things, you know, for um, fat loss, but also to kind of check that you're eating enough. If you've got performance-based goals, are you actually in like a real – have you got low energy availability, which means that you're not going to recover well from your sessions and actually you might be – you know not really giving yourself the best shot at performing at your best but also there might be repercussions of that as well like you might be more likely to get injured it might also mean that you're more prone to disrupting your menstrual cycle as well so there's going to be knock-on effects if we are if we do have sorry low energy availability and I think this is often the under discussed part of calorie tracking so much of calorie tracking I guess maybe it's the industry that we work in often people do have fat loss goals or body composition goals but actually if we're looking at things like muscle building or we're looking at performance-based goals tracking allows us to ensure that clients are eating enough to perform mm -hmm. at their best to build muscle and to achieve those goals. So this isn't purely a tool that can be used for fat loss. It's something that can be used to really just ensure that you're performing at your best day to day. What an excellent point. Thanks, oh, friend. Taking my hat off to you, even though I'm not wearing uh, a hat. <laughs> cheers, champ. Um, Did you have any others for the benefits? I think we've covered most of the points that I wanted to cover when it came, comes to like what is tracking giving people. Um, I, I suppose another thing that we've maybe not touched on is um, it does offer some people more freedom and flexibility. Mm. I think the opposite can also be said. For some people, it will make them feel restricted, but other people, it does offer them freedom and flex flexibility. And I think even just listening to this, if, if you have tracked before, you will probably know how tracking makes you feel. You probably can put yourself into one of those two camps or somewhere along that spectrum between freedom and restriction. I think that's such a good point because I think even with some of the benefits that we mentioned, you touched upon already that not all of them might be beneficial to certain people. Mm -hmm. And I think this will be the same when we go over what it might be costing people. You might not relate to these. You might feel like, well, this doesn't impact me because the point you just said there about the flexibility for a lot of people, it might give them calorie track and feels like it does give them that flexibility the top point I put that it might be costing people is lack of flexibility mm. with the diet because 
sometimes it might feel that we can't go out for that meal with friends or we can't enjoy socializing over food because we might feel that oh that's not going to fit my macros or that's not going to hit my targets and so we might feel that we can't have that flexibility for that reason or maybe we just get so used to eating the same foods it can feel difficult then to kind of branch out because we know well this fits within my targets so I'm going to kind of stick and stay eating those things and actually we're then more kind of scared of kind of branching out into eating other foods or enjoying foods kind of socially as well mm-hmm. I like I like that that was like the last thing on my list for benefits and the first thing on your list for the costs yeah <laughs> do you want to know what the first thing on my list was for costs what <laughs> so my brain immediately went to like the financial cost of it <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. because like now if you know if you want all the bells and whistles in my fitness pal or NutriCheck, there mm. is like a membership fee attached to those things now whether it's monthly or it's annually and I think you know for the client base that we work with that generally is probably quite a small cost and not significant to them but for other people it might actually be a relatively large financial cost and they don't want to keep having to fork out for that and they would rather spend their money elsewhere such a good point I've again not having used those things for a while I forget that now they there is an actual cost to that as well if you want the sort of lowdown on that. One thing I would say as well with that, just a counterpoint, is do you need all bells and whistles, really? If mm-hmm. I again, I don't know what the basic versions of those apps do, but for a lot of people, I'm I wonder whether we need all of that data, whether something that gives us kind of our calories and maybe a breakdown of where that's coming from, sort of like protein, fats, carbs, whether that's enough what that further sort of data really gives us and again that might be something then leads you on almost time is kind of tracking calories taking up a lot of your time because maybe you are going all bells and whistles and going doing a real deep dive and again that's absolutely fine if it's something you really enjoy but if it feels that it's something that's sort of stressing you out and it is taking up a lot of your time then it's something that we could always address and kind of look at are there other ways that we can do this but it can be quite time consuming more so I guess in the earlier stages when you're getting used to it and what things um like one just how to use my fitness pal and plug things in can be a bit confusing at first but hopefully over time over time the amount of time that you (laughs) you use it will reduce but equally then that might be a sign that you maybe don't need to track either anymore. Yeah. I was, as I was listening to you, like talking about the time aspect of it, I was thinking, uh, if, if you're somebody that's listening to this and you've just started tracking and you're like, yeah, I totally resonate with that. It's taking me ages. Maybe give it, give it a little bit of a, a longer period of time to adjust to it and to get used to the workings and the shortcuts within say my fitness pal or NutriCheck because there may be things that you can use within there that help you to spend less time on it whether that is saving meals saving recipes duplicating meals across your week if you have the same breakfast and the same lunches you can just duplicate them across like Monday through to Sunday um but if you are a lot further down the road and you've been tracking for a long time maybe that's months 
maybe that's years maybe you've been in and out of tracking for a number of years then you I imagine we're more than likely have discovered all those little time saving hacks within it and if it's still taking up headspace I think not just time but also like headspace like brain energy um then maybe it is a sign that you would benefit from moving away from tracking now yeah definitely I think with that it as you said coupling headspace with that so not just the physical time but the mental time that's spent sort of deliberating that I think is really important to to kind of pick out one of the other ones I had just with being sort of heavily reliant on data maybe we lose an ability to sort of tune into our own hunger and fullness cues so we're more reliant on the app maybe to tell us whether we can or we can't eat something as opposed to kind of tuning in with our own internal cues and maybe what a portion size we want at breakfast because we're maybe slightly hungrier that day but actually we've already planned this other meal so we're going to eat via what the app says as opposed to maybe what our internal hunger and fullness cues are saying and that could also mean that we end up eating more than we want to because again we planned it and we feel that we can't stop so these are again very subtle things that can kind of change over time as well and not necessarily for everyone some people might not eat that way as in they might notice I'm feeling full do you know what I've planned to eat that but I'm full so I'm going to stop so it's not necessarily to say that this will happen but it's just something to be aware of I think it's great that you've made the point both ways there it might be that because you're trying to aim for a certain calorie goal you might find that you're still really hungry and you need to eat more but you feel like you can't or you have that calorie goal and you've not quite reached it yet you still have a few hundred calories left and you're not hungry but you feel like you have to force feed yourself and I'm just thinking in terms of like it depends what your goal is as well so imagine your goal is fat loss and you have a calorie target of I don't know 1,700 calories you reach 1,500 calories and you're getting close to bedtime and you feel like, God, like I'm really full, but I still need to get an extra 200 calories in there somewhere. Like if your goal is fat loss, then accept that, you know, you've maybe created a slightly larger deficit that day and you haven't been hungry and you're honoring your fullness and your hunger cues. Definitely. And I think as well, we often talk a lot in averages and I know we do, if we are setting targets more often than not, we give a range anyway, but with like when we look at movement we look at steps we're saying it's an average and almost like your intake is going to vary like we're I was going to say we're not I'm going to go in we're not robots but we're not I was going to say we're not machines and we in a way like our body is biological machines yeah it's just such a clever machine our body but in that sense that having that trust in yourself that okay today maybe I've not eaten so much but because I haven't been hungry but tomorrow then you might wake up you might feel more hungry and again then that's completely fine to want more food and to eat more food and I think it's that that trust that if we listen I guess to like what our body's saying then we're less likely to I guess fall into that cost of kind of um calorie tracking of of tuning out of those cues because you will probably find it will average out Mm -hmm. absolutely and I think there's a lot of nuance there behind that as well like the eating to your hunger cues because people will feel hunger differently um definitely you know for example people who store more body fat 
maybe to like the extreme levels are potentially going to have you know leptin resistance where actually the leptin knocking on the door of the fat cells doesn't like that doesn't listen as much as somebody who has less body fat so actually their hunger can be elevated even if they've had the same amount of food as somebody who is a healthy weight for example with a healthy level of body fat i'm taking a second to interject with a quick fact check here me Catherine, mentioned that leptin knocks on the door of fat cells. And what she meant to say was that leptin is produced by fat cells and acts to dull appetite by binding to cells in the hypothalamus, which is in the brain. But when someone has more stored body fat, they can produce more leptin and become less sensitive to it, knocking on the door of the hypothalamus, which can ultimately lead to appetite not being as suppressed as it should be which is one reason different people may experience hunger differently to someone else, even when those two people eat exactly the same. And that's all for this fact check. So there's there's a lot of nuance there. And it's obviously individual case by case basis, which is again, going back to Empowered Innate specifically, why we treat everybody as an individual. And we focus on, I suppose, like adopting strategies like this based on your experience and your circumstances. Just as you were talking there, it made me think about the benefit of having a coach because with these things, they are often dependent on where you're coming from. So what your past history is with calorie tracking, with monitoring your food, if you have done that. And then the approach that we use is going to be really varied, dependent on where you're coming from. So as we said at the beginning, with any of these things that we are saying, you might relate to some, you might not relate to others. And that's perfectly fine. Yeah, totally. There's no one definitive way of doing this. Um, and we'll we'll probably come on to explaining a bit more about that when we offer you some practical tips um, in this podcast, um, like whether to completely eliminate tracking right away or to gradually move away from it. You know, there's different, different strategies that you can adopt. Um, I think like the only other, um, or the only other, the other cost that I had was just increase an increase in screen time. Maybe that would feel quite cumbersome for somebody who works at a screen all day, you know, has a desk job, sits in front of a computer or somebody who, you know, uses their phone for social media because of their work. Maybe they don't want to be looking at a screen again as they're tracking their food. Such a good point about that, yeah, of that increased screen time. Not one I had noted down, but again, if you get used to those shortcuts and things on those apps, Mm. it might make that a bit easier. The only other one, the only other one, the only, (laughs) I've copied you. The only other one. one. The other one, the final one I have remaining is enjoyment of food. So it could mean that we see food purely as numbers and macros and it might detract them from our enjoyment of that food as well because it's purely a means to an end which again for some people food is purely fuel and that's absolutely fine but with tracking it potentially for some people might lead to almost I just don't enjoy any food anymore I I don't enjoy food as much because potentially you're not choosing foods that you enjoy for one because you feel that you can't fit that into what your calorie targets are saying or your macros that potentially you've been given but also it might be that it just becomes 
I guess back to one of our original points that it's taking up so much headspace that it's not an enjoyable activity anymore to eat food and and spend that time kind of enjoying a meal. Yeah, and I think you know if if you're not working with a coach or you're not working with a good coach who is worth their weight in gold, then okay. tracking might encourage dichotomous thinking about yes. food. So like the good, the bads, the healthy, the unhealthy. And I actually said dichotomous correctly there. And I'm really proud of myself. You know what I did the like the other week? I was recording our mindset video series for um the Empowered Innate group and like to upload to the app. And I was doing, I can't remember which one it was. I can't remember it was maybe like the expectations one. And I, I kept saying dictonomous <laughs> instead of dichotomous. And I didn't realize until a few days later. And then I felt really embarrassed. So I had I like had to tell somebody. So I told Hannah and she just laughed. <laughs> <laughs> was it up there in the It's vault? up there. Yeah. I've just accepted the fact that I'm saying it wrong. It's oh, imperfect action, right? People um, are gonna be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that even more. But I do love that. That's a point probably for another full podcast but the imperfect action perfect example of that the irony that probably sound a bit stupid but oh well there's always <laughs> there's something I, I swear there's like some word that everybody just can't say yeah mine's like a, a name that I struggle with but I don't what is know it? what is that <laughs> I struggle to say well the letter L a little bit so if that's in a word I do struggle with that so like the Layla. one that's not so bad it's oh. if it's like an e l sound that's quite difficult for me so the really the one that Matt always takes the mick out of me for is the abbreviation of the name Melanie so I can say that because it's all one word but if I say the the shorter version it's more difficult Oh, when we finish the podcast, I want you to to say it. <laughs> yeah, because I'll probably do it right now because I'm really aware of it. But it's just, you know, when you say in sort of general conversation, it sounds different, apparently. I didn't know that about you, that you can't say Mel. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't say dichotomous, apparently, either. <laughs> oh, hopefully I can now. Um, um, yeah, we digress, don't we? Um, so I guess... Yeah. Are we thinking more now than looking at some practical tips? So if people mm. are looking to move away from tracking, what kind of things can they do, Catherine Kerr Fitness, to move away from tracking? Well, Sarah Cannon Coaching, there are a couple of kind of high level things that you can look at in terms of what your strategy is and like how long that's going to take and whether you phase it or do it immediately. So that's that's one thing is, yes. do you just go for immediate removal of tracking? And I would say that, yes, you should probably do that if you find that you are regularly overeating. I yes. think in, if you find yourself regularly overeating to the point, whatever your goal is to the point, you know, that that's going against your values, it's going against your goals, it's making you feel rubbish, then step away from tracking immediately just completely remove it and that can seem quite daunting and quite scary so we will cover some ways in which you can do that and feel better about it the other strategy that you can adopt is like a phasic removal of tracking and there are 
again, multiple ways that you can do this and you can gradually drop certain things or change certain habits. And that might be easier for some people, particularly if they feel like they have, they, they feel like a sense of control from tracking. Maybe the thought of actually removing it all straight away is going to be really tough for them. So we gradually drop things one at a time. I think with that as well, it, with both of these approaches, it's actually almost like a behavioral experiment. We are challenging mm-hmm. some of those beliefs that we hold by changing our behavior and we're experimenting with it. And I think with anything that we sort of mentioned today, when you use this approach, it's about being curious about what kind of thoughts come up for you, what feelings of sort of uneasiness might arise and where that's coming from. And these are the things that we can always change as well. So if something feels like it's too big a step, say you went for immediate removal, even if you were someone who found control in tracking, but you thought, do you know what? I'm so motivated to do this. I just want to remove it straight away. And you did that and you realized, oh, actually, this is a lot more difficult maybe than I thought. That's absolutely fine. We can change it all the time. And I think that's the thing. If you start out on one approach, like anything that you do, it doesn't mean that you always have to stick with that approach. You can always change it and vary it. And that's absolutely fine. That's always just feedback and learning about what's going to work best for you. I love the um, the idea of using these as an experiment. I love that. You can always go back. You can use your tracking as a safety net. You can revert back to it. It's it's not going anywhere. You know how to do it. Maybe you've deleted the app on your phone. You're just going to reinstall it again and just go back to it. That's fine. Um, and Sarah has made like such a good point there about challenging whatever beliefs you hold about tracking or not tracking. And they're essentially going to be limiting beliefs, right? That might be, if I stop tracking, I'm going to gain weight. Okay. Well, what evidence do you have for that? Maybe it's happened in the past. Okay. Yeah. That, okay. That's fair enough. You've got some, some reasonable evidence there, but can you actually give yourself some evidence to contradict that? Maybe you can work with a coach, move away from tracking and see that maybe you don't gain weight or maybe you do gain a little bit of weight and then it goes back down again. If you know, your goal is weight maintenance, for example. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point that again, you can just re restart doing those things and work out a way to do that but also interestingly you said there about having a coach so that could be the difference this time what's different now because we evolve all the time as people in our mindset and in the behaviors that we do as well so you might be a different person now to the person that tried to remove tracking before and felt that things were out of control or you gained weight you might be a completely different person now with different habits and routines in place actually that will promote you to kind of maintain your weight as well and they can be things that maybe if you do enjoy tracking you can focus on some of those things more so that you're not getting so caught up in that data but we're looking more at maybe how you feel and sort of more qualitative data Mm. than quantitative get in there that's the word (laughs) that's the other word I sometimes can't say we had that podcast I couldn't say qualitative for the yeah to save my life or I'll get them the (laughs) wrong way around and realize I'm like oh (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think like a lot of the practical tips that we give here and even when we look at ways to eat more intuitively um you if you're clients of ours already what you'll probably notice is that A lot of these you're kind of doing already, even if you are tracking, 
um, yes. which probably will fill you with a little bit more confidence that, oh, you know what, actually, okay, some of these things I'm already practicing. So I'm giving myself some more evidence of the fact that I'm, I'm able to and capable of moving away from tracking while still making progress towards my goals. Definitely. And I guess because we mentioned sort of phasic remu- rem- removal, removal. <laughs> um, all the good. words now we can't say, <laughs> maybe it would be helpful for us to go over some of the ways that people might be able to do that. So a lot of this is going to really depend on your starting point. And this is the thing I always find interesting, because, again, if you're working with with us, you've probably already removed a few of these things or you never had them implemented in the first place. So. For instance, some people might be tracking everything and really trying to hit like macro targets. So hitting a fat protein carbs goal, as well as <laughs> Catherine could see my little mind work in there trying <laughs> to make sure I mention them all, but as well as hitting a calorie target. And that can be really stressful. And again, if you're working with us, that's usually not something that we're going to be looking at. But then that might be where you're, you start to remove that full tracking of those macros. So you're looking at things like tracking maybe a protein and calories target. So already that's a step that you can take. You might then decide to stop tracking things like vegetables or oils or liquids, essentially, within to my fitness pal. And so we're just gradually kind of removing things as well. Um if you are working with us, you'll usually be working within a range of calories a lot of the time as well. But if you are someone that's working towards a set target, having a range of calories can help to in, in, reintroduce some of that flexibility as well. And feeling like, oh, OK, it doesn't I don't have to hit that goal. It can be flexible and I can maybe choose, start to tune in a bit more to that hunger and fullness as well. Um, you might then want to look at something like removing tracking for one day or maybe one, even one meal. Maybe you eat fairly consistently and you think, I'm just going to remove one meal from my tracking. What sometimes a lot of people do is remove maybe tracking during the week because they eat fairly consistently during that time. And then they'll track maybe the weekend days. So we're just gradually kind of removing things bit by bit. And this really is going to depend on your starting point. For some people, they might go straight to that, sort of just track the week and remove the weekend. For other people, it might need to be this more step-by-step approach until we feel comfortable at that level. I think you've taken the words right out of my mouth with every single one of those phasic strategies. Um, I think like the only thing that I had to add in, which we already get, you know, some of our clients don't track. Um, in fact, I would say like 50% of our clients don't track, maybe more. Yeah, I think quite a lot of them don't, yeah. Um, like we we encourage the use of a certain structure on their plate. Yes. So, you know, we give them a sort of visual and they opt to make half of their plate full of fruits and vegetables. A quarter of their plate is protein and then an optional another quarter of their plate are carbohydrates for example or you know whole grains whatever that looks like and maybe the protein source includes some fat so maybe you're having some oily fish you know like a salmon fillet as your source of protein and your source of healthy healthy fats um and again like using 
hand portion sizes too. Um, so whether that's, you know, the tip of your thumb should be the amount of fat that you have on your plate. <laughs> and then a spread palm is what fruits and vegetables. And then a closed palm is protein. And then a fist is carbohydrates. I think that sounds about right. Maybe <laughs> we'll go with that. I was just, yeah. sorry, my mind was then thinking as just don't do it. If you've got a foam, foam hand on, you know, them foam fingers. Or if you just have really big hands <laughs> in proportion to your body size, which I feel like I do. I have really big hands and feet. Uh, but yeah, it's such a, it's such a good example of how you can maybe still track a little bit. So you might have removed tracking altogether in terms of plugging your calories into something. But having that awareness then of kind of the portion sizes and what that looks like, it can be really helpful just as a bit of reassurance. But that's something you could even do while you're tracking too, to almost go, ah, okay, I'm a, with calorie tracking, we want to gain that awareness really of what a portion size looks like and those sort of things. So if you are someone who's thinking, oh, do you know what, I do want to start removing it really ensure that you're becoming aware of like what portion sizes look like for you as well um especially if you have got overly large hands but no i think because it is such a useful useful tool that using the hand to um give those portion sizes as well i think having that awareness of what that portion size looks like for you is so important as well and can remove some of that anxiety about as you said earlier, Catherine, about not maintaining your weight or maybe not even feeling fueled enough for performance, if we've got an awareness of what we are eating and how much that is, then that can really help to alleviate some of that anxiety as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing that, you know, Sarah touched on, if you if you don't want to be plugging numbers into MyFitnessPal or NutriCheck or insert other tracking app here, <laughs> then maybe you switch that out completely for a really like briefly handwritten food diary or a written diary of your food on the notes on your phone, or you take photographs of your food. And maybe that's a way to hold yourself accountable. And that's again, linking back with what are the benefits that I get from tracking and how else can I get those same benefits? Is there somewhere, something else that I can do that isn't necessarily tracking calories and macronutrients um, and maybe that would be that maybe you could do that for a while and that helps you kind of feel like you can drop a little bit of that control um, and it's not quite as detailed exactly that and then over time you might start to remove that aspect as well and I think that's it it's not a case of this is the right way to do it it's about finding what works best for you and again that's where working with a coach can be really helpful because it might not be a smooth process because changing up what we're doing can sometimes feel difficult. And there might be points along the way where we think, oh, am I doing the right thing? Or maybe we have a bit of a blip and we suddenly reload my fitness pal back up or we feel that we've overeaten or lots of different things that might happen. But that's okay. It's all part of the process. And having a coach there to support you through this can be so, so beneficial because they can help you to see the bigger picture with that as well and, and kind of meet you with that sort of compassion that, again, that's going to be a predictor of how well you get on with this as well as kind of how kind you are to yourself as you work through this process. Totally. And it is a process, isn't it? There might be it might be a bit of a roller coaster and some weeks go better than others. Or sometimes you do overeat and 
maybe that overeating lasts not quite as long as the last time you overate, or maybe you don't overeat quite to the same extent as you did before. Um, I think in terms of like practical tips, I didn't have any other like practical strategies other than I know that we wanted to cover some, some of the, we're going to take some of the principles from intuitive eating and talk about those kind of separately to intuitive eating. So more about eating intuitively. That sounds exactly the same as intuitive eating, but there are you know kind of differences there. It's such an important distinction to make though. I think it really is. I think it's one of those things because if you say intuitive eating, there is an actual like follow-on process for that for it's like nine, 10 points, yeah. 10, 10, 10. Well, 10, yeah, 10 principles isn't there, but I think it's an actual process and there are intuitive eating practitioners. Mm -hmm. But as Catherine said, what we aim to do is kind of use some of those principles to help our clients eat more intuitively. So there is a distinction and maybe it's one that we're more aware of because we don't want to get called out for telling <laughs> people that <laughs> that we're doing intuitive eating. But there's a lot of kind of crossover in the principles really, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, there's so many crossovers. Yeah. Did you want to like start off? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think where to start really. I guess we've already sort of touched upon it today and kind of honoring your hunger and like fullness. So becoming more in tune with your kind of hunger and fullness cues can be really, really helpful. And again, as Catherine said, this might be something that is more difficult for, for certain people. But it is a really helpful tool for for people when they are moving kind of away from tracking to become more in tune with that hunger and fullness. So we use the hunger scale as something with our clients to help them to get to grips with this, really. And I think with this process of sort of checking in with your hunger and fullness, like before, during and after a meal is so, so helpful and it might be something at first that you struggle with because you've been used to using my fitness pad to tell you whether you're hungry or you're full. But over time, it will get easier and you will notice things. If you are someone, for instance, that has been regularly overeating and we remove tracking altogether, you might feel that your hunger and fullness cues are all over the place. And that's where then that might not be something that we look at initially. It might be more that we look at regular eating. But for other people, looking at their kind of hunger and fullness and kind of tuning in with that can be really helpful for, I guess, building that trust back with ourselves and our bodies. And that actually, if I was about to say something else then, but like if we allow ourselves to eat the food that we want to eat, then we're not going to necessarily always overeat on that. We can kind of use that hunger and fullness scale to kind of work out where we're sat, really. And for anybody listening who doesn't know what the hunger fullness scale is, what it essentially is, is a continuum, isn't it? Between, is it one and 10 or zero and 10? Um, and at one end of that, that continuum towards like one, you've got the feeling of being like extremely hungry, like ravenous feeling weak, you know, to the point where you feel like you're st absolutely starving. And on the other end of the continuum, like the number 10, you've got really full feeling sick like that really uncomfortable feeling and there's a sweet spot isn't there somewhere in the middle um where we feel okay maybe we could eat a little bit more or maybe we feel comfortably full and we feel satisfied and ideally 
majority of the time we want to sit within that that comfortable range and avoid the extremes which is where maybe you know working on regulating your emotions using things other than food is going to help for the uncomfortably full end of the scale yeah and eating regularly is going to help reduce the amount of time that we spend in that end of the scale where we're like a one where we're starving hungry yeah really really good point as well about those two different kind of ends of that spectrum was there one that you wanted to bring up next yeah and I think it maybe segues quite nicely on from what we've just spoken about in terms of fullness and hunger is like how you eat matters as well and I know this isn't necessarily directly part of any of the principles of intuitive eating and eating intuitively but even just slowing down can Mm. really help you to avoid instances of overeating and eating more and then making you more likely to eat in line with your energy requirements so methods that you might use to slow down include having distraction-free meals where you're not looking at a screen like the tv or you're not working whilst you're eating and you're taking time to appreciate the textures and the flavors and the smells and colors of your food. The other thing you can do is if you're eating with a knife and fork is put down your knife and fork between each mouthful. You could also have a glass of water and sip on a glass of water between each of the mouthfuls that you take. I mean, you can even go to the lengths of like putting a timer on or Mm. setting a timer and making sure that you take at least, I don't know, 10 minutes to eat your food. Or maybe you'll surprise yourself when you time how long it normally takes you. And you're like, wow, that is really fast. I need to slow down. (laughs) And we know that even from some research is that people who eat slower, uh, like that, there is an association there with a lower BMI. Yeah, and I think what's really helpful with that, with sort of being, I guess, more mindful of the food you're eating and mindful when you're eating it, is that will allow you that time to check in with your hunger and fullness as well. So it does link really well with that. And even as you were speaking there, was almost think reminded me of almost the pause. So we said like one of the benefits of tracking was often that it gave us that kind of pause to decide whether or not we want to eat something so even with sort of that with mindful eating having that kind of pause beforehand and kind of checking in with ourselves of um how am I feeling am I hungry am I tired am I putting something off like am I eating due to feeling hungry or is it another emotion and that can be like really really helpful as well mm-hmm. yeah totally like learn how to regulate your emotions and how you're feeling with something other than food and maybe that we do this with our clients we provide them with some resources to talk them through breathing exercises for example if they're feeling stressed and they need to activate their parasympathetic nervous system and (laughs) slow down and reduce their heart rate and feelings of stress and anxiety and I think that's it it's just having different tools in your toolbox isn't it because one tool won't fit all but Mm. it's good to have a variety of sort of different tools available Mm-hmm. was there another one that you had yeah I guess almost I'm gonna steal your word but I'm not gonna say your word but I, I guess like avoiding sort of black and white thinking when it comes to sort of your what, food dichotomous. choices that's the one <laughs> not dictonomous <laughs> so <laughs> oh in my head that sounds like some kind of dinosaur I like di- uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking what is it like dictatorship 
type. Oh, That's okay. What it means. Oh, it's definitely not a dictatorship. But dictonomous does sound like a dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I totally interrupted you there about That's the black okay. and white thinking. But I guess that would fit in with sort of making peace with food. So recognizing that all food can fit as part of a balanced diet. And when it comes to your food choices, there are no good or bad foods and all foods are allowed to be eaten. And I think taking that away, that good or bad, can really help to bring that kind of peace towards our sort of food choices. And it stops putting certain foods on like a pedestal because we know that we can eat those when we want to eat them. And what might happen with that? I mean, we talk a bit about like unconditional permission to eat anyway. So that kind of links in with this, that again, you can eat all foods. But when we when we take away that food from kind of um, putting it on a pedestal and we allow ourselves to eat it in the early stages, potentially we might notice that we're more likely to overeat on certain foods. And that's normal. We see that a lot. Like it's called sort of an exploration phase, isn't it? Where we're kind of exploring maybe all of these foods that maybe we've been limiting and we've not even been aware that we've been limiting because maybe we've allowed them into our diets, but we've not been eating them maybe in the amounts that we wanted to feel kind of satiated. So it might be that you notice through this period that you do overeat on those foods, but that period doesn't last forever. Because again, once they're kind of taken off that pedestal and we realize we can eat them whenever we want, generally our desire for those foods will reduce because that novelty kind of wears off and they become an everyday food. So being able to sort of challenge that thinking and recognize that one food isn't necessarily good and another food isn't bad um, is really, really important, I think, when moving away from tracking. You know, what was running through my mind when you're talking about like taking foods off a pedestal and you have permission to eat, like it kind of reminds me of like moving away from home and going to uni and being like, oh my gosh, I have the freedom to like eat whatever I want, yeah. whenever I want. Because maybe at home, you know, your parents have set like certain food rules and, you know, you only have takeaway once a week or we don't have takeaway or sweets in the house. Like it's it's quite interesting actually like thinking about where those food rules can come from and then when you move away and you have the freedom to make the decisions yourself maybe you you kind of go through that exploration phase and then actually it kind of fizzles out eventually because you're like oh well I can just eat these whenever I want now that could be weeks later it could be years later it's such a good point actually having that almost that freedom yeah like the the reins have been taken off and all of a sudden oh wow like there's a world to explore out there of all this food and it might be, as you said, it's taken off that pedestal, but another flip side of that might be you become aware then of how those certain foods make you feel. Mm -hmm. So this can be another helpful thing as well as kind of tuning into hunger and fullness is into how those foods make you feel. So do you feel energized or do you feel quite sluggish when you eat that food? And again, the word that we like to use a lot on this podcast, but being curious about that without judgment. I think that's a key thing as well, because remember, no food is good or bad. It's just that different foods will provide us with different nutrients, some more so than others. And they'll provide us with different amounts of energy as well, whether and the impact that that has on us in terms of how fueled we feel or how underfueled we feel. It's important to try and tune into that, too. So that could be another reason why those all day dominoes went out the window, too. <laughs> Couldn't get <laughs> any studying the... done. 
there are they're like freshers fairs and things and they're just handing out slices of pizza and you're like whoa this would never happen at home yeah <laughs> doms for days that's a different kind of doms keep going back like for another slice <laughs> i've seen you before no you've not no like wearing a little fake mustache and glasses yeah. um i didn't do that by the way can i just put it out there this is just she my imagination going wild um and what sarah said there about thinking about how or getting curious about how different foods make you feel and different amounts of those foods make you feel it kind of links in with honoring your health doesn't it and respecting Mm. your body okay like how is this going to help fuel me in my workouts how is it going to make me feel when I'm at work am I eating enough fiber am I having too many of these like super um indulgent foods that I'm not actually having more whole foods and fruits and vegetables Am I basically sacrificing one food group for choosing another food group? So like those all kind of link in and then respecting your body um, is another point. So can you even journal on these things, like the appreciation of what your body does for you? How does it let you experience different things in life? How does it protect you when you're unwell? What does it let you do? How does it let you perform in the gym? There's so many factors there where we can celebrate and celebrate our body and honor our health but yeah I think they're really really good points there about honoring your health and respecting your body and something else that kind of falls in line with that is the daily movement principle so this is something we tend to see as well with people who are successful in maintaining their weight is that they're physically active and maybe they do resistance training but having that daily movement within your life within within your day, within your week, is just going to be so helpful for one, like the mental benefits as well of just feeling sort of, it might be a good stress reliever. So again, it's another tool to use maybe um, to help relieve stress and not turn to food. It can also bring you kind of connection. Maybe you go to a class, maybe you meet up with a friend, go to the gym and hopefully it's something you enjoy as well. And they're all really important things for our mental health is to do activities that kind of give us a sense of achievement, closeness to others and enjoyment. And daily movement is definitely something that falls in line with that. But as well, you're doing something there that shows that you do respect your body and also kind of honoring your health, because we know that there's physical benefits of kind of that daily movement as well. Um, And also we tend to find with people who are more active for a lot of our clients, especially with getting out and doing that daily movement, it might trigger then more positive and healthful habits as a result. Love that. Shall we move on to our final point? Yeah, hit, hit us with it. So you might be thinking, if I stop tracking, I'm going to gain lots of weight or conversely I might lose weight if my goal is to maintain weight and there are lots of characteristics that are common within people that do manage to maintain their weight who don't track their food and like some of the research tells us that although basically all those things that we've covered above I don't I hope you really can't hear the cat crying in the background (laughs) (laughs) all those things that we've covered above essentially fit in with that don't they so like the being active daily like Sarah was saying just there um weights training weirdly having less variety Mm. in their diet but what we like to encourage with our clients is that they get variety especially with plant-based foods so they're getting lots of fiber and through fruits and vegetables 
I think with that as well, with the low food variety, I think it might be that you eat similar foods, but you can still have variety within that. Sorry, similar meals, but you can still have variety within those meals. So I know, for instance, you love a big salad, but with that, you can always vary kind of the the vegetables and fruit if you're one of those have fruit in your salad the fruit hey, and vegetables tomatoes are fruit yeah. oh yeah okay oh here we go but <laughs> i like... never think of it as a fruit <laughs> but you can always vary up that kind of fruit and veg that you have in that salad and that protein source so you might be eating kind of similar meals but you can still have variety within those meals as well so linking in with what you said there about us encouraging clients to eat more plant-based foods is also to eat high volume foods. So often with fruit and veg, we can eat more high volume by including a lot of that within our diet. And again, that's going to have healthful outcomes as well, because it's going to give us a lot of fiber and nutrients that again are going to be important for helping us to feel at our best. Mm-hmm. And another one that we'd mentioned earlier was like the consistency with eating habits and food choices on weekdays, but then potentially on weekends, you have more variety depending on, you know, what your weeks look like. Maybe your weekdays look the same because your work routine is the same and you work Monday to Friday and then you have Saturday, Sunday off. And that's when you like to enjoy going out and socializing and having meals out with people. So, I mean, that's exactly the same thing, but (laughs) whatever. (laughs) But um, I think with that as well, that really links in with another one where it's about having, recognizing you have a choice over what you choose to eat. So you've got that autonomy. So you're choosing to go out at the weekends and enjoy that food with your friends and have those social meals. And this is really important. We talk about it a lot when we talk about setting goals. Are these goals something that you want to achieve or are you working towards them because someone else has told you that's a good goal for you? And the same comes with our food choices. If we're maybe with a coach that's quite rigid, then we might be trying to meet sort of set goals and targets that don't align with our own kind of values and our own goals. So feeling that you have that choice over what you would like to eat and when you would like to eat it and how, if you want fruit in your salad, then having that is is really sort of an indicator of kind of successful weight maintenance as well. Absolutely. Yeah. What like what we don't want our clients doing is say, for example, somebody works shifts and they work every single weekend. Okay. We're telling people to eat the same thing during the week and then have loads of variety at the weekend, but maybe that it doesn't align with what that person's life looks like. And there may be some coaches that are like, yeah, you're going to have a cheat day on a Saturday. And then during the week, we're going to go like really low calories. And that maybe won't help support them in what their life look, looks like or when they socialize. Maybe they socialize during the week when they're not working and they're off shift. So yeah, there's so many factors involved there in terms of the consistency with eating habits. But I think like maybe even just consistency in general is key here. Definitely. And to use the the not so good coach example that you just used there, the the use of the word cheat day. So again, oh. that that avoidance of seeing food as kind of absolute so we've already touched on that so not seeing food as either all good or bad and cheat again would fall into that so I think it is still a really common term we're lucky enough we don't come across it a lot mm-hmm. if at all with our clients or with people that we work with but it is something I'm very aware of in general conversations still that it is a term that is used and again to use that word cheat it has kind of negative connotations that were somehow bad or 
you know, we're doing something maybe not quite right because we're eating that type of food. And again, seeing food in those kind of absolutes can really impact our relationship with them, as well as our ability to sort of maintain our weight. Yeah, I'm I feel like I'm seeing a lot more of a shift towards dichotomous thinking about foods where people will go into a supermarket pick up oh, a box yeah, of cereal yeah. from the shelf and be like this is unhealthy do not yeah. eat this and so they go true. to the, I don't know fruit and veg aisle and then they like pick up a I don't know a lettuce leaf <laughs> just <laughs> the one and a, yeah, an, iceberg, an iceberg <laughs> oh gosh and they pick that up and they're like this is healthy uh, and that that just really fuels that dichotomous yeah. thinking that all or nothing so that true. this food is good this food is bad if I eat this food I am bad so don't don't tie in your I suppose self-worth and your own value with different foods you're not bad because you've eaten a bowl of shreddies <laughs> such a good point such a good point and then I think the final one that we haven't touched on is just the I mean we have touched on it previously but is another thing that we see in people who successfully maintain their weight is that they use other things that are not food to help regulate their mood and their how they feel and, and work through emotions. Definitely. And I think that's it. It's, we all do use food at times as comfort. That's normal. You know, that is really normal. But like any tool, it's useful to have other tools in our toolbox. And I think that's it. It's not that to say these people never do that. It's just that there's other tools that maybe they've cultivated or other coping strategies that they can fall back on as well as that at times and I think I've lost my train of thought so I was (laughs) and I think one other thing for us to be aware of when we talk about weight maintenance we're not talking about one number we're talking about a range again because it is so normal for our body to change and our weight to fluctuate like most things in life it's going to ebb and flow given what we have going on and I think often people can think of weight maintenance as a particular number Mm -hmm. as opposed to a range and again having that range is one more realistic but it gives us that flexibility as well for life to happen and things to happen and manage our expectations about what weight maintenance actually means as opposed to setting ourselves up for for instance this one number that then well I'm higher than that today or I'm oh I'm a lot lower actually that will ebb and flow depending on kind of what's happening but that's why weight maintenance is usually a range Mm -hmm. that's such an excellent point to really like highlight that weight maintenance isn't a you know you have to remain at 60 kg for the rest of your life on the dot yeah yeah um and with that I think that's everything that we wanted to cover right yeah, I feel that was a real deep dive. I'm glad we had enough oxygen in our tanks to go through that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how long this is, but I feel like people might need to come back to this and might split it in half or something, but that's wow. totally fine. Yeah, do what you got to do, guys. To get through. Do- I mean, if you're already at this point, then you've finished. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> uh, should have told you this halfway through, guys. Well done, well done for sticking with us. We Troopers, love you. yeah. If you've <laughs> if you've reached this point and you enjoyed the podcast and you think that this will help somebody or you just love it so much that you want to shout about it from the rooftops, then give us a tag on Instagram. Send the podcast link to somebody else to listen to. Bye. Bye. See ya. Love you. Bye.